And welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. This, I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist. And today we're doing an interview uh, with a very interesting guest. He's done several books. Um, his uh, media marketing firm is uh, Krish Media and Marketing. He's a graduate from Duke University, the, the FACWA, I'm probably saying that wrong, School of Business. And he lives in the greater Tampa, Tampa area. Oh, let me let's see. Oh, I don't know why this is not working, but okay. Uh, I have, uh, okay, so he has a full-service online digital marketing agency, uh, solutions provider, uh, www.krishmediamarketing.com. Uh, he works with some of the big names in, uh, finan in the financial industry. Uh, he's fortunate, he says he's fortunate to have uh, collaborated with the best direct response companies in the world. Uh, he launched his online radio network, generating six figures in monthly revenue, uh, managed the production and marketing for the first online physical uh, precious, pre wow, I'm, I'm not, precious metal retail platform exchange. Sorry, I got a little tongue tied there. Um, and featured on USA Today, Yahoo, Bloomberg, MSNBC, Huffington Post, Business Week, MSN Money, uh, Business Insider, India Today, and Hindustan Times. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And he's written several books. So the first book would be uh, Podcastnomics. Uh, the next book would be 50 Shades of Marketing. And then he did a book called Trump Book and The New PR. And if you'd like to add anything to the to the resume, uh, you're more than welcome to it this time. Thank you so much for having me. And it's the Fuqua School Fuqua. of Business. Oh, I knew I had that wrong. I know I School of Business at Duke University. I've written five best-selling books, all available on Amazon. One of them is a political political book, which you mentioned, Trump book, How Digital Liber Liberals Silenced a Nation into Making America Hate Again. And right. it's looking like that's going to happen again. There, there is going to be a Trump book, too. So we'll talk a little bit more about the current state of affairs and what we can expect. Now, are you a supporter or, uh, or against Trump? I, so when I wrote that book, I was in the middle. However, I predicted that Trump was going to win when there were, I think, only three out of 50 or so polls showing that he was going to win. Um, I was on the side of he's going to win, not because of any liking towards him, but simply because he was dominating everything. And if you just right. looked at the MAGA rallies and you looked at, for example, where I live in Tampa, Florida, Hillary Clinton stopped by St. Pete, Florida, and there were something like 70 or 80 people at her, at her rally or gathering. And this was like a month before the election. And then when Trump stopped by, there were miles and miles of cars parked, uh, tens of thousands of people at his rally. It was the same thing in Michigan a few days before the election. And so I said, these polls just aren't adding up. I don't think the polls were rigged. I think the, the polling companies just were using very old, outdated methodologies, which I think they're still using now today. And they don't know how to pull really strong political outsiders. Well, so, I, I also think that I also think that, that it tends to be. I think that the people on the left tend to be more vocal than people on the right. 
That is true also. That's absolutely. And, and that's part of the polling methodology. It's are you asking the questions in a correct way? Are you picking the right people? How are you f- selecting these people? So that was 2016. In 2020, I was a Trump supporter. I did vote for him. Right. I yes, thought, as, as I did as well. I thought 2017 to 2019 was the greatest three years of any presidency in my lifetime. I was not alive when Ronald Reagan was president. He was only president for about uh, 10 days when, when I was alive. <laughs> right. So, so I thought Trump had the greatest uh, three years of any presidency that I had ever experienced, just as far as his agenda, what he accomplished, what he was able to get done, the reform he was able to pass. At the same token, there was a lot of stuff that he promised that he was not able to do from the, the Mexico wall, which I think we're seeing the, the fallout from that today. Uh, and I think the two biggest areas that he did not pursue which ended up biting him in 2020 and is biting him now legally is number one, election reform. And number two, draining the swamp. He didn't do any of of both of those, both of those things. Yeah. He definitely didn't drain the swamp. Uh, Unfortunately, um, presidents make a lot of promises in their campaign. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I think he was sincere about the wall. The problem is, is, is that presidents are not dictators. And so if they get a lot of pushback from, from uh, you know, the Senate and the House, if they get a lot of pushback from the government, um, it can really stymie their efforts in certain areas. Well, he had a republic. He had essentially 19 months to push through whatever he wanted because he had a, Repub- a very unified Republican House and a right. Republican Senate with... Overwhelm, not overwhelming, but with gross majorities. There, there was no Joe Manchin who was holding things up. Let's put it that way, because he had, I believe, fifty-two Senate seats, um, and even picked up a Senate seat in the midterm. And then he had uh, the, the House pretty handily on his on his side. So, with that being said, I said those two areas ended up the the swamp and the the election reform ended up biting him because of course we know what happened in 2020 and, and January 6th, which was a direct result of the lack of election reform, election integrity laws. Right. And then, and then in, in the case of the swamp, he just didn't know. I mean, let's face the facts. He's, he's not a lawyer. He's not a constitutional lawyer. And, the swamp was around him and the swamp was advising him, Hey, like you actually can't drain the swamp when in reality, it turns out you can't. And it's going to be easier to drain the swamp this time than last time because of the six to three Supreme court majority. Right. That was crucial. It was crucial. It's, it's a shame that he didn't win the, the, uh, a second term because then it would have been a much bigger Republican majority on the, on the, uh, on the Supreme court. But unfortunately, that's not how it turned out. I, yeah. I think that Hillary not winning uh, against Trump, it wasn't just about Trump's large crowds and popularity. I mean, that was a factor, too. But I also think it had a lot to do with um, people just hate Hillary. They don't like her. Yeah, well, as, as well, much as I disagree with Bill Clinton on political issues, I, yeah. I, I like I have to be honest, I grudgingly admit that I, I liked Bill Clinton, but I, I can't stand Hillary. Well, 
a couple of things. Number one is the country was marching on the path towards socialism under Obama from 2008 to 2016. So I think the biggest, the, the biggest benefit of stopping somebody from the Obama administration, stopping an establishment Democrat from picking up the reins, picking up where Obama left off, was we were able to put an end towards that march to socialism. Right. And the country woke up and saw that. And, and I think that's the, whether it was Trump who stopped that or whether it was Jeb Bush who stopped it, um, I honestly don't think any other candidate on the, in the Republican field would have beaten Hillary Clinton. I think the Republicans needed a unicorn, a dark horse, a charismatic political outsider to shake things up to, to stop that Obama-Clinton regime and so that was the biggest benefit it's that he put an end to that he stopped it um i think in today in the republican party we have our own modern day version of hillary clinton in fact i think she's even worse than hillary clinton as crazy as that sounds uh uh, with with the neoconservatism with the warmongering with uh just being very political snakes and ladders saying all the right things getting all the right big corporate donors from or, or corporate support from the the coke uh regime or or the coke uh, entities to blackrock to boeing and uh, I, I think there is the, the hillary clinton version is not unique to the democrat party it's been a part of the republican establishment forever unfortunately and, yeah and it, it, it's been a part of every establishment forever. And so uh, I don't think it's fair to single out Hillary Clinton because I think most politicians, most career politicians aspire to become Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I, I think you're speaking. I don't think I don't I, can't, I didn't hear you say the name, but I think you're talking about uh, Nikki Haley. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she's a lot of her answers just didn't make sense. Uh, I don't like it when, first of all, there should be a, a 10 year uh, ban. Uh, both before and after, of people working for special interest groups or corporate, uh, you know, big corporate entities that have. Um, and I, I don't think that foreign powers should be able to lobby. Of I don't course think there not. should be foreign power lobbyists. And that, that, that to me is disgraceful. But she, you shouldn't be able to work for a big company, then come in and work in a, in, in a job that regulates that company. Or work or, or be in the government where they regulate that company and then go to a job with that company. That to me, I don't, I, I there should be at least a 10 year ban uh, before and after. Uh, yeah, and look, but, but, but the masses, your average person, what they look at, they don't follow the issues. They look at, oh, she has, uh, she has great experience. She was governor, she was a governor of a major state, she was a UN ambassador. And therefore, she's the right person for the job. Whereas if we go back to the Roman Empire, if we go back to Marcus Aurelius, when Marcus Aurelius was on his last legs, he didn't name his son to take over as successor of, of Rome because he said, my son was born into the system. If there's anyone as corrupt, if, if there's anyone... Uh, who's corrupt it's my son because he grew up as a part of the system and he has the most experience out of anybody else but that's why 
um, deciding to pick Maximus, who was a, a, a political outsider, a, a military general, and he picked Maximus to take over as emperor of Rome. And so when people say, oh, I like Hillary Clinton because she's very qualified and she has the experience. I like Nikki Haley because she's qualified and has the experience. I like Joe Biden because he's qualified and was Senate a senator for 30 some odd years and was vice president of the United States and he has the experience. To me, all that means is they're more intertwined in the game. They're a part of the uniparty. Right. And, which means there's a greater chance that they're absolutely corrupt. And so I think the, the Republican Party, because of Trump, is starting to become the party of political outsiders. I think that's the new wave and the new trend. We are seeing a move away from the losing George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, John McCain, Bob Dole, Republican Party to uh, something that is more relevant and personable and in touch with the masses. Yeah, well, um, you know, most people don't know this little little, uh, uh, non sequitur, but Bill Clinton wouldn't have won um, his first term. If um, oh um, oh, his mind just slipped my mind. Ross Perot. If oh, Ross, Ross Perot Trump. hadn't hadn't been a third party candidate, according mm-hmm. to the numbers, he wouldn't have won that first first election. But yeah, I, I agree. It's become a uniparty. I'm a big and a big favor of term limits, term limits for mayors, term limits for governors, term limits for people in the in the House and in the Senate. Um, maybe that wouldn't be a good idea because I, I mean, I know experience can help you govern, but I just think there's too much corruption when somebody's in an office for, um, you know, 30, 40 years, it, it just seems like that they've worked it out how to game the system so that they can keep getting, getting reelected through either the Republican, you know, apparatus or the democratic apparatus. And they just keep somehow they worked it out so they can keep staying in that position, um, which means they don't have to do what the people want them to do as long as they can work it out to where they keep getting reelected somehow. I agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and I think both sides actually agree on that issue, at least the, the majority on both sides. I mean, how can you have an eight year limit on, on, on uh, the, the, the leader of the free world, the president of the United States? and uh, not have limits on, on other political offices. Yeah. Well, well, the counter argument against that is, well, let democracy speak, right? So we saw in California, not California, New York, for example, 2018, I believe, when AOC was a, a no-name political outsider coming in and beating an incumbent for, for decades in that district. Right. And that's democracy, whether you agree or not with AOC and her policies, that's how the system was set up. So it's, okay, well, if you want term limits, well, how about actually putting up a good candidate who can beat the incumbent? Yeah, the only, the only problem is, is that was set us up to eventually slide into a uh, dictatorship. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Putin uh, and various other people around the world that have, you know, they get elected, but then they, it eventually somehow molds into almost like a dictatorship. And... Uh, so it's, well, it's a little different that Russia is a communist nation and they don't have free and fair elections. The United States is still 
democratic republic, constitutional republic, where you can have a free and fair election. And I think Donald Trump proved in 2016 that even if everybody is against you, they put, when I say everybody, I mean your own party, the political establishment, the mainstream news media, the social media, everyone was against him except for the people. Yeah, except for made, the public. Except for the public. And that's what makes this system so great because you can deal with disinformation, Chinese disinformation, Russian disinformation. You can deal with all that and still come out on top. And that's why Donald Trump is a once in a century candidate. Yeah, there's a. Um, so now if he. I think he'll, I think he'll, I don't think they're going to be able to stop him from running. I could be wrong, but I don't think they'll be able to stop him from they running won't. in 2024. I, well, I, I can tell you why they're not going to be able to. Section three of the 14th Amendment states that there are two ways they can stop a Donald Trump, a, a former president, from running. Uh, not necessarily even a, for, a former president. There, there are two clauses in section three number one number one is he had to have engaged in an insurrection so what the courts have to prove is number one that january 6th was actually an insurrection which is actually very difficult to prove people are calling it an insurrection but legally they have to define they have to go by the dictionary definition legal definition of what an insurrection is and whether that was actually an insurrection was it a riot or was it an insurrection? So that's very difficult to prove. And then the next thing they have to prove after that, if it is an insurrection, is that he engaged in it. Right. And that's extremely difficult to prove because he was not there. He yeah, was... they, would, they would have to prove that, that, that these people did that at his behest. In other words, he told them to do it and he did not tell them to do it. it well, so, so that's number three. Well, n- number two is he had to have been there. He was not there at the Capitol. He was there about a mile away from the Capitol, but he was not there at the Capitol. He said he was going to go to the Capitol, but he ended up getting in his car and driving back to the White House. So that's number two. And then number three is, is what you said. There is a line which you can go on YouTube. This four or five word line actually three-word line, uh, protects him from being removed from the ballot. And that is, he said to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard. Had he never said that line, then there would be somewhat of a case that, hey, he could have incited that. But that line itself protects him from uh, inciting or engaging in this insurrection. And the final thing, according to Section 3, is that Appointed officials, appointed officials are the subjects of this Section 3, 14th Amendment. Appointed officials, not elected, or I should say, yeah, appointed, not elected uh, members of, of uh, President of the United States. It's only appointed officers, not even officials. It, the exact word is appointed officers. So that would be a vice president who is appointed a treasury secretary who is appointed. And the reason why they did this, the 14th amendment, the entire 14th amendment is a big civil war amendment. It was specifically written post civil war with the, what, what had just happened after the civil war was open, fresh on the mind. It was to keep Confederate 
Confederate officers from holding office because they did engage in rebellion. They actually wanted to secede from the United States. Right. So Trump has just one out of those three or four things that we mentioned is going to keep him. They have to prove all four of those things. So the fact that he is immune on all four of those things, even if they're able to prove one of those things, they won't be able to keep him off the ballot because they have to prove all four. And that's why that has the D.C. Uh, indictment didn't even go after him for any of these because they knew, hey, this is not this is not legally viable. And so the individual states are now going after him, trying to remove him from the ballot. And obviously the ultra blue states won't even bother because they know that they're going to vote blue. But the purple states are trying to do this that have Democrat legislatures. They're trying to do this and they're not succeeding. Every single one of them has been thrown out and they're not going to succeed because if it ever does make it to the Supreme Court, they're going to run through this analysis that I just ran through and say this is it's not even debatable. He definitely has to be on the ballot. So can he get convicted? Absolutely. I think he will get convicted, actually. I think he'll get convicted on three to five charges in the Georgia case. Um, but that even getting convicted does not remove him from the ballot. Do you think that'll mean jail time? I don't think it'll mean jail time. Well, first off, this is all politically motivated. You have to put on your political hat. Oh yeah. It's it's definitely all politically motivated. There's no doubt about that. It's politically motivated because there are no legal theories that support these charges. There are no legal case precedents that support these charges. So it is completely, uh, politically motivated. Let's say these cases got drawn out until after the election. The cases would all either get dropped or he'll be found not guilty, assuming because if he wins the election, he'll just pardon himself. Yes. If he loses the election, he's no longer he's no longer a threat. So they'll just you'll see miraculously these these charges just disappear or he'll be found not guilty and everybody moves on with life. So these are absolutely politically motivated by the simple grounds of Name one legal theory of the 90-some-odd charges. Name, name one legal theory throughout history where we've seen this charges or even legal precedent. We haven't seen it. I do think he's going to get convicted. The reason why is because he becomes a, a, a convicted felon if, if he's convicted. And what does that mean? He can't vote. So that's a big thing that the media and that his opponents can run with. Look, this guy can't even vote for himself because he is a criminal. And what they're trying to do is get the moderate crowd, the third party crowd, instead of voting for Trump, hey, go ahead and vote third party or vote for Biden because why would you vote for a convicted felon? That's right. what they're trying to do. History has shown that throwing your political opponents in jail is not a good strategy the uh we've seen in south america we've seen in parts of asia where political opponents were thrown in jail and they ended up winning their elections so i don't think they're going to throw him in jail i think they're going to give him some type of house arrest to keep him from doing his maga rallies to keep him from campaigning because look those rallies are a big deal they sign a lot of people up to register and they tell people hey this is how you vote you can go to these locations to, to vote so the Ma- the maga rallies hold a tremendous amount of value and i think what you're going to see is they're going to try to expedite some of these trials get some convictions and get some sentencings and so that he's basically going to have to be homebound or uh 
he's you're going to have to prevent him from doing the MAGA rallies. I, I think one workaround for the MAGA rallies, and obviously it wouldn't be, you know, the optimal conditions, but have have a, a large big screen like a movie screen set up on the stage where he can speak directly to the people. Well, that's um, exactly what's going to happen. He's going to be remote. He's going to have his his children. He's going to have his vice president, and they're going to be the ones doing the rallies on his behalf, and he'll just be remotely coming in on screen holding the rallies. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that would be the workaround. Obviously, that's an optimal condition, but uh, it's better than nothing. Hey, but at his age, that's probably what he has to do at this point anyway. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's in his okay. late 70s. So, <laughs> you know, we don't want him dropping dead in the middle of the, uh, in the, middle of the campaign. Um, so uh, speaking of, of pardons real quick, just a little, little side note. Um, I saw a recent documentary about the George Floyd, um, Derek Chauvin matter about the supposed, <laughs> um, it's called the fall of Minneapolis. And I highly recommend it to anybody that's listening to this it, and you as well. Um, and it completely debunks, uh, the fact that he was, conv- he completely debunks his conviction for murder. Um, I would love to see Donald Trump. I don't think he'll do it, but I would love to see Donald Trump. Um, pardon uh, Derek Chauvin. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't think it's going to happen. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen simply because I don't think there's any political value right. in that. I think it'll only divide more. Now, look, I, I followed that case, the, the Chauvin case. Right. And was he guilty of some charges? Yes, he was. Uh, simply because he could have made some different decisions. Like he didn't need to have his knee over George Floyd's head or neck for, for that long. He well, well they, they, they showed in the, in the, in the documentary that from the camera angle of the girl on the sidewalk, it looked like his knee was on the neck, but from the body cam footage, which wasn't released to the public from the body cam footage. And they, they, they got the body cam footage for this documentary somehow. Uh, the body cam footage showed that it was more around his shoulder blade and around his around his upper shoulder. But the point is, regardless, Floyd was down. He was handcuffed. He was on his chest. And right. once he knew, okay, this guy isn't responding, he could have just gotten up, and that would have protected him from everything. Right. That would have protected him from every charge. But the fact that he just stood there, and you had people in the audience, people watching, saying, what are you doing? Like, get your knee off. Like, why are you you're killing him? Right. And he still just just sat there. That was a major, major blunder. And we saw in the in the trial, which I'm sure you saw in the documentary. Oh, yeah. In, yeah. in the trial, they had the medical examiner. They had a pathologist come out and say, look, if we're looking at that without knowing anything about the case, we're just looking at this patient. This was a drug overdose. There right. was there was enough fentanyl plus cocaine plus marijuana plus alcohol. Yeah, apparently three, three, three fentanyl. Three, three. Um, I, I don't know if it's milligrams or grams, but three uh, is is lethal dose, minimal lethal dose, and he had eleven. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was enough. They they said there was enough drugs in his system to where they would have said the cause of death was what was already in his system, not the. Again, this is the medical examiner, this is a pathologist, not the, the, the trachea or the, the neck or any of that other stuff. The chokehold, per se, they brought in experts on chokeholds who also supported the medical examiner's findings. Uh, but then 
because of media backlash, I don't know if this was covered in the documentary, because of media backlash after that, the uh, medical examiners and pathologists ended up changing their story uh, after initially testifying about the, the, the drug overdose. Oh, so, yeah. He, he even said in a conversation to a colleague that, uh, you know, everybody's saying it's one way and me saying it's another way. Uh, I'm paraphrasing is a career ender. Yeah. And I don't, so I don't think what... that should be a factor. I really don't. I know that's a little bit uh, unrealistic, but I just don't think it should be a factor, especially when it comes to somebody's life. It's not supposed to be. But but again, with, with all that being said, if he never had, if he just had his knee on the neck for uh, a few seconds, got the patient settled, and that or got the, the, the suspect settled and then stood up, he would have been scot-free and that would have probably never even made it to the news. Right. Uh, I agree. But the fact that he just stood there, the media, the social media was able to run with it. And look, it was a gruesome video. No doubt about yeah, it. It looked bad. It looked really looked bad. I'll, I'll, I'll fully admit that it looked very bad. It, 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 exactly. So um, I do think Chauvin will end up some of the, because he's appealing, he's appealing. I do well, he's already, some, the, the Supreme court already refused to hear his case. They did. Okay. So it's final. I mean, unless I don't know, I, I can't, I, I mean, I don't know what else they could do to present it to the Supreme court. Yeah. I don't, I, I think once they refuse to hear your case, I mean, maybe in the future they can come up with something else. I don't well, know. When but, you say the Supreme court, was it the Minnesota Supreme court? No, the, the U S Supreme court. Okay. Yeah. Then it's done. Then it's yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. Then we move on. Right. Unfortunately, there's, I mean, he could be as innocent as, you know, the, you know, but it, once the Supreme Court says I'm not listening, I think they should have at least listened, but apparently they refuse. So that's the, you know, that's it. You can be as innocent as you want to be, but if they won't hear your case, there's really nothing you can do past that. I mean, other than a pardon, which we've already both agreed this is not going to happen. Um, so you said you voted for Trump in 2016 as, as, as you know, I did as well. I didn't. Um, I did not. Vote oh, you did Trump. not vote for Trump. I no. thought you said you did. I'm sorry. Nope. I, I, I thought he was going to win. Okay. But I did not vote in, in 2016. I did okay. vote in 2020 for Trump because okay. I felt like the media was very unfair in his over his coverage of the pandemic over the BLM stuff. Oh, I yeah. Not, 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 not just that. But uh, when he was talking about Charlottesville, he said, I, I'm sure there's people, good people on both sides. And then he specifically said, now, I'm not talking about the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis and people like that. But when they put it in an article and when they put it on the news, they cut that part out. So let me talk really quickly about Charlottesville, because that was one of the most unfair press coverages that I've ever seen in, in my life. And I think Robert F. Kennedy, he's the only person I've seen who's gotten even worse completely outlandish press coverage than Donald Trump. Um, you said that Trump said there were good people on both sides. That is important because that's the line that's stuck with yep. everybody. And what people don't understand is what are the sides? Right. What are the two sides? And, and that's, that got completely lost in translation. The two sides were not neo-nazi white supremacists versus anti-neo-nazi no. white supremacists the two sides the entire point of the protests was because you had a park 
named Robert E. Lee Park and a statue of Robert E. Lee in that park. So one side was, hey, we should keep the name of the park and the statue. And the other side was, no, we should change the name of the park and we should remove the Robert E. Lee statue because of Civil War, whatever you want to call it. There are absolutely good people on both sides of that argument. Sure. There is no debating that. And I think most people, most educated, rational, logical people would agree with that. Because the moment you change the name of the park and you remove the Robert E. Lee statue, now you have to change the name of Washington and Lee University. Well, you're, you're, you're erasing history. You're erasing history. And I grew up in Houston and we had a school, a high school called Robert E. Lee High School. And I'm sure that's a common high school name across the country. So, so that's what the discussion and the argument is. It's not, do I support white supremacists and neo-Nazis versus right. do I not support them? And the media completely fuddled that. They completely, they got lost in the fake news propaganda. And just like there were good people on both sides of that argument, there ended up being bad people on both sides too. You had white supremacists on on one side and you had Antifa on another side. So, So that has gotten completely lost. Then if we get into... Robert E. Lee. So Robert E. Lee actually reunited the country following the Civil War. And he played a very crucial role role in restoring peace. He owned slaves, but freed them before the Civil War ever began. Because he came to this realization that it was not an institution that he believed in. So while he thought it was morally wrong, he completely understood why people did it because it was 100% legal. There are things today here in this country and other countries that are legal that anybody could say, hey, that's morally wrong. There are things that are done in the medical industry today. There are things, substances that we put into our bodies that are completely legal but could be morally wrong. We could even have a debate about abortion. In states, it's totally legal up until thirty until the time of birth, which is, <laughs> but insane. it could be morally wrong. Right. So this is this is the standard of criteria um, that that I'm using. Robert E. Lee was a soldier, and he is still the only person to graduate from West Point Military <laughs> Academy without a single demerit. That that's amazing. His military his military tactics during the Civil War are still used today, still used today in military classes, and the United States even used his tactics during World War II, World War I and World War II, to help the U.S. crews to, to victory. So when Trump says, in the same period, and he said this three times within a three-day period, he says, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis or the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. He, said, he put that out in press releases, He put that out in his speeches. He also said racism is evil and those who cause violence in his name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. So he denounced them literally in the same speech, in the same press release, yet the media 
took that there were good people on both sides to and and they did not define what the two sides were and i just wanted to clear that up because i still hear that charlottesville argument today and most people are just too lazy i think i think people just want to believe what they want to believe well there's certain things that get out in the media and no matter how many times it's debunked no matter who it's debunked by um and how obvious it is that it was not true uh how long did people still today say hands up don't shoot and, and yeah. that's that was disproven by Eric Holder, the the uh, oh uh, attorney general for uh, Barack Obama. That was completely disproven and debunked. And so, you know, people just they, they continue to, to say things because it fits the narrative that makes them comfortable. It fits of their course. political agenda. Of course. And, and people like it's almost like people like being victims. And so they will make up their own scenarios just to come out as a victim. Yeah, one one thing about Charlottesville that that bothered me, and I, I'm uh, just a uh, full disclosure. Uh, I know a lot of people think I'm biased because I am half Jewish. Uh, my mother was a, well, my mother is a Jew; she's still alive. My father was a uh, was a Christian. Uh, but when in Charlottesville they had the march with the tiki torches, yep. they started out chanting, Definitely. "You will not replace us. You Y O U. You will not replace us." Unfortunately, Richard Spencer. Uh, and his little gang turned it into the Jews will not replace or Jews yeah. will not replace us. So it didn't start out that way. If you listen to the march at the beginning, it was you will not replace us. And then Richard Spencer and his little gang of, of you know, malcontents changed it to fit his his political, you know, for, forget, his, you know, to, to push his uh, political agenda. And it's unfortunate because the re- every group has has bad apples like that, has groups like that, and that that march that chant ended up overshadowing the totality. There were people who went to that Charlottesville rally, and they said, "I didn't, I, didn't, I never even saw these people. I didn't right. even know they were there." <laughs> right, I had it was no a idea until until after I came home and saw HBO or whatever it is. And, and then that's the first time I saw them, but there were, you know, just a few people and nobody paid any attention to them. Nobody even knew what they were saying. Right. So I know that, uh, you, okay, so you didn't vote, you didn't vote in 2016. You voted for Trump in 2020. Uh, I guess my next question would be, uh, he's, we both agree that he's going to be the Republican nominee uh, for president in 2024. What uh, will you be voting for him in twenty twenty four? If you don't mind me asking, I don't know. It's still way too early. We're in twenty twenty three right now. Right. I I don't know. Uh, I certainly won't vote for a Democrat. I can tell no, you that. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't vote for a Democrat <laughs> if if they had a gun to my head. Right. So so the options are sitting it out like I did in twenty sixteen. Or voting third party. I will, I'll tell you also, I will not vote for Robert F. Kennedy. I like the guy a lot. I think he's genuine. I think he keeps it real. But his policies when it comes to the environment, ESG, affirmative action, yep. I don't agree with those policies at all. Even, even the economy, I don't agree at all. I do think he would be a good attorney general under a Trump administration. I think if he focused on the legal side of things and draining the swamp, he's the right guy to do that. 
there are a lot of pluses to him. Just like, look, I actually liked Bernie Sanders. I thought he was genuine, but his policies, I don't think I agreed with a single one of his policies. And I think the problem with a Bernie Sanders is you'll get some young person who's inspired by him, who would actually take being Bernie Sanders to the next level and destroy this country. Right. So, so that's, that's the issue that, that, that I'm facing right now. We'll see if there's a no limits party and who they put up to run. Um, if it's Joe Manchin who's running, I, I, I will consider voting for, for him because I actually, he's a classical liberal. I, I just and, don't think that he's got an, any chance of winning. He doesn't. But since he he's a Democrat, yeah. so, say what? He doesn't. He, yeah. It, it, but it, I think, I think Biden. anytime there's a third party candidate, whichever party they're most affiliated with, they, they work as a spoiler. So, um, you know, Ross Perot, as I mentioned before, was a spoiler for the Democratic, or I'm sorry, for the Republican Party. And then, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, who was the big environmentalist that ran in the early 2000s? Uh, um, oh, Ralph Nader. Oh, Ralph, Ralph, Nader. Ralph Nader was a big spoiler for um, the Democratic Party. Yeah. So I think what he'll do is if he runs, he'll be a, a spoiler for the Democratic Party. I think he'll uh, it, be one more oh, nail in the coffin. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting because already we have Cornell West running, who's pulling at three. <laughs> who's pulling at not not Kanye West, Cornell West. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's who's pulling at three to four percent, which is that's a big deal. Uh, and and he ha- he's showing no signs of dropping out. He's saying I'm in this, and I don't care if I'm a spoiler for the Democrat Party. Um, so he's in. He's it. got as much chance as Al Sharpton. But but he's a spoiler. And then you have Robert F. Kennedy running. Who, from what I've seen, it's about a split. Uh, you've got a lot of Trumpsters or and are uh, former Trump people who that's the alternative. And then he's a Democrat. So you got a lot of moderate Democrats who are going his way too. But both of them combined right now are pulling above 15% Cornell West plus, plus uh, Robert F. Kennedy. If, if this no labels party ends up running and you have a, uh, the former governor uh, Hogan, who is a former governor of Maryland on a ticket with, with a Joe Manchin, or who knows, but but the entire idea behind this no labels party is that it would be a uniparty. It would they're calling it a unity party. Right. So the president would be a, a Democrat or a Republican, and the vice president would be a Democrat or a Republican. Which is the, the way it used to work back in the beginning. It is the way it used to work, but but I think this is the election of the third parties because you're going to have Trump conviction, you're going to have Biden impeachment, plus Biden just essentially being a dead corpse um, and there are going to be no debates. <laughs> so there's, there's no way they're going to put him on the stage. Now there have been people that are, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but there have been people that say that the, the first time he debated Trump, that he was maybe given a little bit of a, you know, a chemical cocktail to, to, to boot. Cause he was full of energy for those debates, which was, shocking. he was, but, but his health ha- and, and he, he was fit to be president at that time, but, we're now three years later. It's going to be four years later. Um, there is a big difference between being 77 and being 81. There is, yeah. You talk to anybody who has dealt with their parents at that age, there is a huge decline. We're not talking the difference between 40 and 45. 
Right. Um, we're talking 77 to 81. Very, very big difference. Uh, and I believe he'll even be 82 if he were to get reelected and when he takes office in Jan- if he were to take office in January 2025. Yeah, so, I believe he was born in December. So, yeah, he would be. So, so with that being said, there are other options this time around. And my prediction all, of, all, all along has been that this is going to be the election of third party to play spoiler. You're going to see third parties uh, combine to get more than 20% of the vote because the Libertarian Party is always up there. Jill Stein's now running as Green Party. So you have big names, Libertarian, Jill Stein with the Green. She played spoiler in the 2016 election. Right. And then, and then you have, like I said, Cornell West, Robert F. Kennedy. You throw in no labels. You're going to see the third party for the first time in our lifetimes you're going to see third parties combine for more than 20%. Um, so that being said, so you're not sure who you're going to vote. For. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, if he's, if he's the candidate, obviously the Republican candidate, which I, I don't have any doubt in my mind, he will be. Um, my second choices would, my second, third choices would be um, obviously Ron DeSantis, but I have to say, I'm a huge, and I mean a huge, uh, Vivek Ram. And I'm probably saying his not, not name wrong, but Vivek, Vivek, Ram, Vivek Ram, rhymes with cake. Say it again. Vivek rhymes with cake. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy. That was one of the things he uh, teased. Uh, oh, uh, Nikki Haley about pronouncing his name wrong, even though she's from India. Uh, you know, originally from India. So she kind of he kind of uh, teased her on the debate about that that she didn't say his name right. Well, so Vivek yeah. Ramaswamy, I'm a huge Vivek Ramaswamy fan. Now, I don't agree with him on everything, but then again, I don't agree with everybody, anybody on everything. But he well, I, I think really puts up a good – Yeah. go ahead. Well, I, I think there are certain issues where he clearly is pandering. When I hear him talk about abortion oh, – yeah. When I hear him talk about abortion, I just – I've been in touch with his campaign, and I feel like he needs to change his stance on that. Uh, there are other areas when it comes to – I mean, there are just other policies where uh, I think he either just doesn't know enough or or he hasn't he needs to just be more coherent in, in right. the answers. But with that being said, the guy's 38 years old. And oh, yeah. He, he's got a huge future in, the, in politics. No doubt about it. He's a billionaire. Right he's now. He, when he entered the race in February, he was worth about six hundred million dollars from February to now today, just solely. He started two companies that are publicly traded just by his running for president. His net worth has climbed from 600 million to over $1 billion. Because wow. Of, and you can look it up yourself. Look at Royvent pharmaceutical stock. Look at strive asset management. They, they have several ETFs that the public that retail investors can invest in. And you can see charts for yourself. Where were these companies in February and where are they today? That is a direct result of Vivek Ramaswamy's running, running for president. I'm not saying he's running for president because of that, because I think he genuinely wants to become, create change. But he, he did something that most politicians don't do. Same with Donald Trump, which is actually starting value-add businesses right. and running them and selling them and starting more businesses. That's... That's what we want our children to aspire to do. We don't want our children to aspire to become career politicians and operating 
in a Hillary Clinton or Nikki Haley type of way. Well, uh, the Vivek Ramaswamy is obviously a business genius, no doubt about it. He 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 absolutely is, and and the fact that again he's only thirty eight. I know he's, that sounds he's crazy. The youngest uh, Indian American. Uh, he's the wealthiest Indian American under the age of forty in the United States. Wow. So so he is somebody who's going to be around for a very very long time simply because. Forget about the brand. No one had even heard of this guy eight months ago, but simply because he has the dollars to prop up candidates, to prop up himself, to to bring attention to issues. And he's only his wealth is only going to multiply moving forward. And I don't think he's done. I actually think that he's going to deliver a major surprise in Iowa. Um, I don't. And when I say surprise, it's all about expectations, right? Because the expectations are low for him, whereas the expectations for, let's say, a Ron DeSantis are high. The expectations right. for Trump are high. Now, Trump is going to win. He's within. He's outside the margin of error in every single all fifty states. So Trump. Well, he's he's over Trump. fifty. You know, overall, yeah. he's over fifty points ahead of Ron DeSantis. It, and Ron DeSantis it, it, exactly. is number two. So exactly. So 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 DeSantis. The, the expectation was, hey, this guy's going to go head-to-head with a Trump or he's going to be second place. I think he's going to uh, end up performing poorly in the primaries. I, I do think he'll get second in Iowa. I think he'll do very poorly in New Hampshire. I think he'll do very poorly in South Carolina. And the fact that he won't even be able to crack 20 or 25% in his home state of Florida, uh-huh. um, that's a huge disappointment. For, for Ron DeSantis. Now, if Vivek is putting up those numbers, if he's putting up DeSantis numbers, that's shocking the world because uh, Vivek came in as, who is this guy? He's just some random person running for president. Right. And yeah, I'd never, heard of, I'd never heard of him before. Right. And the expectations for him are, are so low. So I actually think he's going to get third in Iowa. I think he's going to pull off a major surprise. And that's because the data that I'm looking at, the same data that I was looking at in 2016 when Donald Trump was running for president, the data I'm looking at with Vivek, uh, he is crushing it online. The guy is, uh, uh, if you look at 80 to 90 percent of online polls, Vivek has won debate one, debate three, debate four, and he just keeps going through the podcast circuit. He keeps being interviewed. He is anywhere and everywhere. He's doing an excellent job on the media front. He's doing five to six events a day in Iowa and New Hampshire right now. Five to six events a day. To give you an idea, at Trump's peak, Trump was doing three events in one day. Joe Biden never did more than one event in a day. Vivek is doing five to six a day. And he's focusing on issues in Iowa and he can, he's 38 years old. He keeps saying, I have fresh legs, which he's absolutely right about. He's healthy. He has fresh legs. He can operate on four or five hours of sleep. Um, He's able to do that. Joe Biden would not be able to do something. Even Donald Trump will not, would not be able to do something. No, there's no way. Chris Christie is not physically fit to be able to do something like this. Well, Chris Christie, let me, let me jump in here real quick. Chris Christie, when I heard him say, that he thought it was between a parent and their child on whether they get uh, oh transition um, surgery, get transition medication, and begin the transition process. When I heard him say that, uh, I don't care if I agreed with all of his other policies. 
as far as I'm concerned, me personally, he could walk off the stage at that point. Because well, the way to, I look at to that, say that they can abuse their own children and promote mental mental uh, you know mental illness is is to me is child abuse and uh, it's unconscionable. It's absolutely unconscionable, especially when people don't know who they are sexually no. until they're done with puberty. And yep. in the United States of America, this is by law, you're not an adult until you're 18 years old. If you're a girl and you want breast implants, you could be a 12-year-old girl who wants a, a boob job. Most doctors, actually all doctors, will not operate on you. Yeah. Not, not because of some law that the government passed, but because the doctors themselves have the moral clarity. Yeah, ethical say, standards. Yeah. They have the ethical standards to say, look, it's not safe to operate on you at this age. But if you wait until you're 19 years old, I know doctors who don't do it until you're 21 years old. And I know some who do it when you're 18 years old. Well, even if, not- it was, even if it was safe, it's unethical because a 12-year-old doesn't know what the hell they want. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And we can talk about tattoos, too, because you have to be 17 in a lot of states to get a tattoo, 18 in most states to get a tattoo. It's the same thing with smoking. So to there absolutely is a moral equivalency between these other things like tattoos and and smoking and mutilating your genitals, which is way worse than any of these other issues. Yeah. Well, what it does is not only does it it, most cases, if not all cases, it renders you infertile. But not only that, but it, it destroys the, the nerve endings in your groin to where you, you cannot derive uh, pleasure from, from intimate contact. It, so it, this, it this is so life ruining. Exactly. It changes so much. So th- the fact that they were even having that conversation on that debate stage and debating it was, uh, I thought it was, like you said, for Chris Christie to say what he said, it was surprising. And to me, it's a very simple issue. This, this shouldn't even be a debate. It's, no. If your child comes to you saying that they are a different gender than what they were born with, and most kids don't start doing that until after the age of 10, the solution is not to affirm it and say, let's go to the surgeon and get your genitals changed. The solution for that, it is actually a mental health disorder called diso- um Gender Identity Disorder, GID. This is according to the DSM 1 through through 4. Yeah, also known as uh, gender dysphoria. Well, that's what it's called now, gender dysphoria. This is an actual mental health disorder. And and I wish Vivek was more uh, open or, or more specific in how it's a mental health disorder. Because when you just say that something's a mental health disorder, people get their feelings hurt and they say that you're a homophobe or a transphobe or whatever. This is according to science. This is according to the manual for the practice of psychiatry. Gender identity disorder is an actual mental health disorder. And when somebody has a disorder, you do not affirm that disorder by celebrating it. You actually go to a medical professional and seek help first. In this case, this is a mental disorder. So you go to a mental health professional like a counselor or a therapist and you go there and you seek help and you try and you try and you try. And if once you get the green light from them, hey, it's time, you know, we we did everything and, and we think this is the best course of action. Well, by that point, the child is probably 18 years old and it's 
all right, well, you're or 17 years old. All right, you turn 18, you're free to do whatever you want. If that's what you want to do, you've gone through the therapy, you've gone through the counseling. And this is what uh, Kendall Jenner, not Kendall Jenner, this is what Caitlyn Jenner has talked about so many times where even she thinks this is cruel to children. You can't be having 10-year-olds going through with these surgeries. You need to go through the process of figuring out who you are, what you stand for, go through puberty, and then 18 years of age is the absolute earliest that you should be making this decision. Well, speaking of puberty, uh, over 80% of people, of children that suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, over 80% grow out of it when they, when they reach puberty. There you go. So that's why, that's why, just like with tattoos, just like with the, the boob jobs, you, you, you make that age 18. And, and I would even have, because look, health insurance they've been pressured into covering these surgeries. Initially, they weren't covering these surgeries and the trans community and the, the woke community said, hey, you got to cover these. They, these are not elective procedures. You got to cover these for kids. And so I think we need to go back to the science. I'll tell you, me, I actually I have a legitimate GI issue. And right. the insurance wouldn't let me do a procedure because the insurance said, you need to get blood tested again first before you can do this GI procedure. Right. If the insurance is going to be so uptight about approving a, an actual medically necessary procedure, and if the doctor also, my doctor said, hey, you know, we need to get this blood test first before we move forward with this procedure. So if, if the system is supposed to work that way, hey, we're not just going to blindly do procedures. We're not just going to blindly do these genital mutilations, uh, sex-changing surgeries. The system should be, hey, you have to go through these, pro- whether it's getting the blood test first and then doing X and Y and Z and going on this medication, and then we do the procedure. It's the same thing in the case of gender identity disorder and the surgeries that are taking place. It's, mm-hmm. hey, you have to go through this systematic step and then once you do all these other things and you are at the age of 18, okay, insurance will go ahead and cover the procedure. You're a grown person. You're done with puberty. Move forward with what it is that you want to do. Well, because it's politically trendy right of now, course. socially trendy, they're pushing these things through as fast as humanly possible and, without, and, and without these, the normal and, safeguards and to be honest, that should be required. To be frank and to speak the truth, these issues are not the issues on the mind of everyday average Americans. Absolutely. Right. It, they are only issues that are manufactured on the mainstream news media. Right. I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. So, um, so you, who would you choose? I mean, what's your second choice on that stage? Uh, I actually switched my party affiliation to Republican solely to vote in the primaries uh, for Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay. Um, so he's my number one and Ron DeSantis, who's my governor is number two. And uh, yeah, it, it's really one and two with, with those two. Yeah. See, that's the reverse for me. It's, it's Donald Trump for me, but then probably Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Vivek, uh, Ramaswamy. He, he's, uh, you know, I, I cannot, I can't see how it'd be possible. But now I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I can't see how it'd be. Po- I, I just don't see how it'd be possible that he wouldn't be president at some point in time. He he absolutely will at some point. And I, I do think that he's running this time around. He's doing an 
excellent job because most people who would have run with his profile would have been out by the first by at the end of the first they wouldn't have pulled high enough they would have run out of money um he's doing an excellent job and and yes he does have a lot of tendencies to obama some people call him vivek obama swami as far as his (laughs) his speaking abilities he's an excellent speaker he doesn't use any teleprompters he he's just a tremendous future that he has and i think he's very clearly running to try to be trump's vice president if not i would love that i was i was just gonna say that i would love that i would love it if trump offered him uh made an offer him to be the vice president and if he would accept it that would be wonderful well what he's learning in because this is the first everybody else who's on that debate stage has been through this political process hundreds of times from nikki haley state senator to prosecutor elected prosecutor chris christie to Congressman Ron DeSantis, to working their way up the political ladder, Vivek hasn't done any of that. And I think what he's learning is the number one knock on him right now, which he has no control over, is his age. People keep saying he's like a child. He's these young people just don't know what they're talking about. Why oh, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it? Uh, Reagan? No, Kennedy. That was that was Kennedy, became yeah. president at thirty eight. Not thirty eight. I think he was. Uh, or maybe it was 36. It was somewhere around in there. I, I, I actually thought it would. We'll, we'll look that up. But but in any case, let me see. John F. Kennedy, he was the youngest president. He was born 1917. Oh, yeah. So he was. No, he was 43. 43. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. He was in his early 40s. I know you have 40s. to be. I think you have to be at least 36 to qualify to run for president. You have to be 36 when you take the oath of president right Right. yeah and 35 to run for president yeah which i think is extremely reasonable oh that's very reasonable yeah that's absolutely reasonable vivek is a unicorn you're not going to find too many 30 somethings who actually think they have a chance of becoming president or who have the money to self-fund their campaign to become president the guy became a billionaire in 38 i mean (laughs) to me that says it all yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm gonna do another full disclosure because I've been called out on this a million times before. I don't really care, but I am a fan of the Indian people. I admit it. I don't care. It is what it is. So I'm half Jewish. I get called out for that, and I'm a big fan of people from India, and I get called out for that, which is fine. Call me out all you like. I'm surprised people call call you out for India. Um, well, the. In, so I grew up with a ton of Jews in, in Houston, went to college in the Northeast, uh, was like an honorary member of several Jewish fraternities, would hang out at the fraternities. My roommates were Jewish. Right. And, and, and Jews and Indians have very similar values and cultures. Yep. Um, despite being different religion or religions. And, and uh, India is a, is a supporter of Israel. Big time supporter of Israel right. because even long before the Holocaust, India dealt with its own Holocaust when it was under Muslim conquest for right. centuries, nearly 800 years yeah. of Muslim rule of uh, men being beheaded, being scalped and, and uh, killed, women being raped and pillaged, children, same thing. We went through that. We survived it. Our temples, the temples that did survive, survived. 
Right. We gained our independence and that fighting has never stopped. It's still here today as evidenced by oh, of course. terrorist attacks on our soil. Uh, the, the, the fighting, the, uh, it, it, it's still, so Indians get it. They completely understand it. There is no education that needs to be done at least with people from India. Yeah. And you know, the strange thing is, is everybody complains about the creation of Israel in 1948. I could be wrong and you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe Pakistan was also created in 1948. Yes. And yet nobody complains about the, the violent creation of Pakistan. Now, in, in now about 10,000 people died in the creation of uh, Israel. Over 2 million people died in the creation of Pakistan. Yep. Yet nobody complains about that ever. Yeah, the, re the reason why nobody complains about it in the case of Pakistan is because Pakistan is not a major global superpower like Israel oh, yeah. is. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're right. Israel is uh, the leader. You have, you have a Muslim region of the world, and the only non-Muslim nation in that world is the global superpower uh, or, or a part of the global superpowers. Israel has one of the strongest militaries in the world because it is a mandatory requirement that everybody serve in the idf right and that's a good thing because uh, i've i've i know people who serve in the israeli military i currently work with people who are reserve members now after doing their stint and uh that is great for leadership it's great for entrepreneurship their military ranks are are flat they're not hierarchical like they are in the united states right so everybody gets a voice and a say to be a leader and I think that's why you see that Israeli Jews are extremely entrepreneurial. They're business-minded. They know how to manage resources. There's a lot of benefit that comes from that. And so they're cybersecurity experts. They're web experts. They're military experts. They're pharmaceutical and biotech and science experts. The FDA was, was flying in Israeli scientists at the, at the height of the pandemic, at the height of vaccines, bringing the Israeli scientists in because they knew more about these issues than the U.S. scientists. Well, and let, let's, let's be honest. Let's give credit where credit's due. Um, the, the average IQ of an Ashkenazi Jew is the highest in the world at 115. Now, that's the average. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a huge factor, I believe. You know, they, they, you know, they, they have extremely high IQs. Um, that's a little self plug for me, I guess. Maybe I didn't think of it that way until just now. But they, uh, you know, they have extremely high IQs, and that's obviously if you want to be, um, you know, a, a doctor, a lawyer, an author, um, and apparently even a comedian. That's it's, it's definitely uh, definitely works out. Um, but yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. They're they're the you know they're you know th thriving. And they're a tiny country, very tiny country. They're a tiny country, and they, throughout its existence, everybody around it, every country around it has tried to wipe it off the map. Right. And Israel continues to thrive and succeed. When, when you have to live your life in such a way, live a life of survival, that's how your people become. And so why is nobody talking about Pakistan? Because Pakistan is a third world nation. And the only threat that Pakistan, the only threat the world faces is, I hate to say it, but terrorism. Right. When you look at the terrorists, 
from from 9-11 to Osama bin Laden to Al-Qaeda to the Taliban, and you look at many of these terrorists, they may not be from Pakistan, but... They, some of them locate to Pakistan. Exactly. You got these madrasa training schools over there. And, and the crazy part, going back to the beginning of this conversation, the crazy part is President George W. Bush and his administration was funding Pakistan for many, many, many years. And then Obama continued that funding. And Donald Trump was the first person who stepped in and said, why are we giving these people billions of dollars every year? For, <laughs> for what? To, to fund, you know them getting b- bigger and better, uh, you know, suicide vests <laughs> or machine guns. Or, or you know, for, to get food to, to fund bin Laden and his family and his compound. Right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Pakistan at all. To be honest with you, I, I'm not really a fan of any Muslim country. I know there's 25 Muslim countries on the globe and 22 located in the Middle East. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of, of Islam. I have no problem with any religion, any religion that I can think of offhand. Um, but the only religion I, I take, uh, you know, that I have uh, a, a bone to pick with is Islam. And that's obviously because of the violence and the, you know, stoning women to and, death. And, 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 and I'll like say that. this, I'll say this because somebody who's listening to this will say, Oh, this is very bigoted and whatever. And, and I urge people read the Quran because right. I read the Quran recently and I was shocked, and I'm, I'm pretty late to the game because the media, they don't read the Quran, and people will say whatever they want to say. And I was actually shocked at how explicit yeah. the Quran is. I'm familiar. When it, when it comes to calling out the Jews by name yep. and, 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 and saying that the Jews are infidels and they should either be ruled upon or killed yeah they call they call them demis they didn't call out hindus by names because there wasn't a term for hinduism instead there are two epithets that they use for hindus and already the muslims had started their muslim conquest of india under the uh mughal dynasty oh was that was that uh was india uh, at that time it was called hindustan is that correct uh, at that time, I'm not sure. I know, and I know, at some part in history, it was called Hindustan. Well, right now they're looking to change the name India back to what it was before. But during okay. the Muslim conquest, I'm not sure what people called India. But with that being said, going back to uh, how they called out Hindus, they used two epithets. The first epithet was idolaters. Idolaters are people who pray to idols. Right. So, so the largest most common sense religion is hindu right and the second uh epithet that they use are polytheists even though we're a monotheistic religion that has many different gods they believed hinduism was polytheistic because they would see all these idols and all these different gods that people were praying to it is explicit in the quran chapter three chapter seven you see these call outs against jews against hindus uh, there is a, a specific section about the sin of Lot that is against the LGBTQ, as they call them, LGBTQIA plus community now. So you can see uh, they specifically take the sin of Lot from the Bible and uh, put it in the Quran and say that the, those who commit the sins of, uh, of Lot 
uh, immediate death. There's no, there's no the, the the charges and the 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 sentencing is immediate death. So whether it's other religions from Judaism to to Hinduism to LGBTQIA to to women in the Quran, it explicitly says honor kills. Honor, right. honor killing is if a woman, generally a wife or a daughter, if she veers in any way from showing loyalty to her husband, something as simple as showing her entire face and looking at another man on the street, something as simple as that, then they have brought dishonor to the family and the recourse is you will be sentenced to death. And we've seen let, this let, even in the United States. Yeah, let, where... me, let me jump in real quick. I'm, I'm going to give you a quick story. So many years ago, because I'm, I'm 53 years old. So many years ago when I was going to Ohio, when I was attending Ohio State University, um, and one of the classes I had, there was a girl, and I don't, I don't remember what country she was from. Um, I think it was Saudi Arabia. I, I could be wrong. Um, but she and a friend of hers went out one night without their veils on, not covered up completely. Her parents never found out. The other girl's parents found out. And that following Saturday or Sunday, they had a big, um, what, you know, they had this big, uh, oh, like family get together, like a picnic around the, the in-ground family pool in the backyard um, in front of the entire family while they're all eating food. He got his daughter in a headlock and drug her into the pool and drowned her. That's so that's crazy. rough. That is rough. That's crazy. Well, there was and nobody story. did anything. Nobody objected. Yeah. Nobody did anything. But but the reason why they do that is again, it explicitly says that this is it's called an honor killing. If someone brings dishonor to your family, then you bring honor back to your family by doing these things. And in Texas, this happened. I grew up in Texas. There was a father who had two daughters, Muslim family from a Muslim nation, and uh, both of his daughters were uh, had non-Muslim boyfriends, like a mayor, just let's just assume white American non-Muslim right. boyfriends. And so this father found out about it. He investigated. He did all sorts of surveillance and whatever. And once he it was all approved and he confronted them and they started snooping around behind his back. I mean, this is all common behavior uh, amongst many immigrant families, like snooping behind your parents' back, having a boyfriend, having a girlfriend when you're 16 years old. Right. Uh, so once he did all this, they snooped around, whatever. Now, they were of age. They were something like 18 or 19 years old. The father picked them up. He was a cab driver. Oh, and yeah. I'm familiar he, with the story. He, he picked them up and shot them dead. Yep. And then drove across state lines to try to bury their bodies. And he did it in the name of Allah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, very, I'm very familiar with that story. It's shocking stuff. It, it, it's shocking stuff. But what people don't understand because they haven't actually read the Quran. And I was shocked because I was kind of of the I was of the majority mindset of oh, these are just bad actors who took something in a text and read it incorrectly and are, um, you know, they're not representative of the religion. And so I read yeah, the Quran yeah. for myself and I was just shocked at how violent so many 
of the passages are not like you know section three of one chapter or section eight of this other chapter yeah it's there are so many passages from chapter three to chapter seven to chapter 19 as, as well as the hadiths as well the the hadith i mean you name it 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 is just wow and and when it comes to let's say domestic violence spousal abuse there is no such thing because no. that is a part of so it's actually to keep a woman from transgressing if a man has any inkling that a woman is transgressing to keep the marriage together he is allowed to beat her hit her abuse her, whatever well they're allowed to chain her to the bed they're allowed to the do marital that. bed they're, and they're... and they're allowed to beat her and then you know a lot of muslims in modern day times will say well lightly beat there's no light it doesn't say lightly beat first of all how the hell do you lightly beat somebody but it wasn't. It doesn't say anywhere. Well, they don't have any the word "lightly" like doesn't say anything like that. Yeah, they they don't have any concept. So when when uh, a lot of these leftist media members go to Pakistan or Afghanistan or Iran or Iraq or Libya, they go there and they say, "Hey, what are your statistics on domestic violence and yeah, domestic violence and beating? You know, families fighting." They say, oh, that's, we don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, what like, statistics? Yeah, what <laughs> statistics? Like, that's not even a thing here. Nobody is charged with domestic violence here. That's not even, a, like, we don't even know what that is. Like, you guys, yeah, the women, that, like, the, you the, go to the jail father. in the U.S. if you hit your wife? Like, why would you do that? Like, that's yeah, just... the, the father is is the king of, the, of the king of his castle. And the women and children are his property, his chattel slaves. And he can do anything with them he wants, which is primitive and barbaric, but it is what it is. It's part of well, their culture. It's, it's, it's medieval. It's primitive. It's barbaric. And the crazy thing is we bring up this term medieval and barbaric. It's still the same today. Right. If you were to take a trip, which you can't, if you were to take a trip to Palestine or to these countries that I named, Syria, uh, uh, Somalia, you take take a trip there. Try getting flights there. Good luck trying to even get flights there. Good luck trying to even be allowed in there. And once you're allowed in there, best of luck surviving. Right. Um, there is a reason why you, people aren't going on their honeymoons to these to these places because they are dangerous. And you will see the third world of the most third world. Well, not just dangerous, but, but absolutely filthy. They're filthy. They're dangerous. They're third world. Okay, third world, that's fine. But it's like taking a time work back to the medieval times. Yeah. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. If I, if I grew up in the times and in a place of, let's say, the Spanish Inquisition, I would have a totally different take on Christianity. And I personally, I don't judge people as much on the writings in their books as I do the behavior of the followers. To me, it's, there, there's horrible things in the Torah. Horrible things. Take non-believers outside the city walls and stone them to death. Um, you know, the part where they told, told King Saul to go in and, and kill every uh, man, woman, child, and suckling, which is a newborn baby, and beast of burden. So kill all the people and, you know, everybody, including the, the animals. Um, these were horrible things. But... The Jews are not doing that in modern times. The Christians, there's bad part about little, you know, there's some bad parts in the in the New Testament. 
the Christian part of the Bible. But the Christians aren't out doing this. Now, I'm sure if you look really hard somewhere, you'll find you can find somebody something. doing something. Yeah, yeah. You'll, but, you'll find one or two, but it's not yeah. organized to the extent that radical Islam is. Right. I mean, every week I'm hearing about some type of terrorist activity, whether it's uh, the latest I heard was a couple in South Africa. They were honeymooning and a radical Islamist terrorist group abducted them and killed them during their honeymoon. Right. They did it in the name of Allah. We saw this global jihad day after October 7th, this terrorist attack against Israel. The Muslim uh, Islamists worldwide called the Friday after global jihad day. You won't find any religion doing that. What is global jihad day? They actually defined it and said, let's stand up for our religion and we will kill the infidels. And we saw in France, there was an attack on a school, a school teacher. We right. saw in Belgium, there was an, another attack there. Like I said, in South Africa, there was another attack. You don't see this in Hinduism. Our phrase, so the Muslim phrase is Allahu Akbar. Our popular phrase is Jai Shri Krishna, Jai, Jai Swami, really Jai Shri Krishna. You don't see a bunch of radical Hindus saying Jai Shri Krishna and uh, throwing bombs on in synagogues. Or, no, of course not. In fact, it's the opposite of that, because what we're saying is that the peaceful God in me sees the peaceful God in you. That's actually what the translation, the peaceful God, Lord Krishna in me sees a peaceful Lord Krishna in you. That's the translation, the rough translation of it. Jainism, the same thing. The fundamentals oh, yeah. of Jainism are Jainism. They, they, there's been people from Jainism that actually take a broom and sweep in front of them so that they don't step on. I mean, obviously, it's impossible. Yeah. But they try. They sweep a broom as they walk in front of them uh, so that they don't kill any bugs or, or you know, anything. There, there are some Jains who refuse to even go for walks outside because they don't want to step on ants or, or animals, kill animals uh, when they're walking. That's a fundamentalist Jain. And, and we know right. people. <laughs> the like more that. fundamentalist <laughs> the Jains get, the more nonviolent peaceful they are. <laughs> They actually feed ants during Diwali and they, they make what are called rangolis, which are designs that you put outside your home, generally made out of powder. Ugh. They use ant food as the powder so that the ants can come and eat their food. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. These guys, I I'm telling you, if anybody has a bone to pick with, and you know what? Sometimes Muslims kill people that belong to that religion. Absolutely. Which is in, which is insane. They did. They they sometimes rape the women, take them as hostages, and and make them Not slaves. Sometimes this was yeah. a. So I said the largest Holocaust in human history, before the Holocaust, everybody knew about during the 1930s, yeah. was the genocide of Hindu Indians in India during Mughal rule, from Babur all the way through Shah Jahan, who created the Taj, Ma Taj Mahal, to Akbar and Jahangir all the way until the Indians gained their independence, Hindus gained their independence. Around 80 million Indians were massacred and slaughtered. Around 80 million. It's estimated that there were anywhere from 10 to 30 million Jews were massacred during that 15-year period or so. Uh, uh. Um, there were, And this was at a time when there weren't many people living to begin with. Um, right. So there were more than 
80 or around 80 million Indian Hindus who were killed by wow. the Muslim conquest. That's amazing. That's horrible. Absolutely horrible. Um, you know, it's it, everywhere the, uh, you know, everywhere there's a lot of Pakistanis that moved to the UK. Everywhere they exist, there's a problem. When the, you know, obviously, if they're low in numbers, there's less of a problem. But the more they they get they gain in population, the more problem there is. I, I think that's a bigger issue in Europe. We don't see it yet here in the United States, right? And because the way this country operates, it's like the medical system. Like Vivek said in the last debate, the medical system waits for people to get sick and to get hurt, and then the medical system kicks in. Here in the United States, people. There's no preventative care when it comes to U.S. foreign policy. It's let's wait for that Orlando shooter. Let's wait for that 9-11. Let's wait for X, Y, Z, and then we'll step in. And with there's no border right now, north or south. No. When you have open borders, who knows what's going to happen? And my prediction actually is that in 2024, it's an election year. We're going to see some crazy things. If you thought COVID was crazy... Wait until uh, March, April, May 2024. I think we're going to see one of the things I think we will see is a major terrorist attack. Um, And this is not something that I want by any means. But given that you've had hundreds of potential terrorists already apprehended, already seized at the border. So you caught about 600 of them. Well, how about all the ones that you didn't catch? Yeah. How about the 6,000 that got through? So this is a huge issue that, that I'm concerned about. Well, also, if we do build the, the border wall, I, I think the second problem that's, that, that unfortunately that's going to cause, I mean, obviously we have to do it. At some point, we've got to shut that border down because it's like, leaving your, it's like leaving your front or back door open in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood. You're going to suffer the consequences. But I think shutting that border down um, and securing it is going to, cause problems maybe even on our canadian board because drug smugglers and various other people might decide to go through canada instead people are not talking about the northern border the northern border is not as open as the southern border but it's absolutely open and you can go to the the border of new hampshire for example and see that there are people just walking in and there's enough fentanyl that's coming into this country because doctors are not prescribing fentanyl here in the United States. The fentanyl is coming through smuggling through the open borders and the fentanyl crisis was bad five years ago. And it's even worse today. It's multiple times worse today because of the open borders because they're being manufactured. It's a completely different discussion, but we have the number one enemy, China, the Chinese communist party, they're manufacturing the fentanyl. They're working with the Mexican cartels and the Mexican cartels are bringing this in through the southern border and through the northern border. And the bigger issue is that fentanyl is deadly. The amount of fentanyl that they're doxing in these super deadly and they're masking these pills saying it's Adderall, it's cocaine, it's something else. When in reality, it's fentanyl and you're taking something, you have no idea what you're even taking. And it well, a lot of times, a lot of times fentanyl will get mixed in with, um, you know, like marijuana and various other drugs. Mm-hmm. And so you think you're taking one thing, but you're yep. actually taking another. Exactly. And, and you could die. Is- there was there was a baby that recently died 
because it, it was crawling, was crawling on a on carpet. Floor, yeah. Yeah. At an Airbnb. Airbnb. And there was fentanyl in the, in the rug and the carpeting. And it ingested it somehow through the skin or maybe a breath it or who knows, it's a baby, might have licked it. And, uh, you know, dead. It's so absolutely is... scary. And when I hear stories like that, I'm usually not one to get triggered. But when we're talking about kids who are just right. so clueless and want to experiment with, with different things, then you, you hear like this is the new bioweapon being used. And there are right. more people who died from fentanyl overdose was one of the top 10 killers of of americans last year to make the top 10 more than a hundred thousand people died from fentanyl we're not anywhere close to let's say heart disease or cancer or or uh, any of the major even car or actually there were more people who died from fentanyl overdoses last year in 2022 than they died from car accidents wow so this is a severe problem if you go to the the ghettos of major cities the outskirts, the pockets of, of, of major cities, and you'll see fentanyl is now the drug of choice, and it's destroying the people's lives. They're just passed out on the street. They become addicted to it. They're using their welfare money to buy it. It's terrible. So let me, let me ask you one final question. I, we already went well over our time. You said you had an hour, and I know I've taken you well over an hour, so I, I truly apologize for that if that's caused you any, any no, uh, scheduling conflict. Well. Nope. But this, I think this has been an, an excellent interview, an excellent conversation. And uh, I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten bored through the entire thing. So it's been excellent. Um, let me ask you a question with, with a few different parts to it. Um, number one, who do you think, obviously you're saying you think Trump will be the nomination, nominee for the Republicans. Um, the other part is, who do, do you think that Biden will be the person running for the democratic party if not who do you think will i've got my own opinions but i want to hear yours and uh do you think that trump will win the 2024 election so the easy answer to all those questions (laughs) right i don't know okay uh that that's the because each question is is loaded and we can start with i mean that was like three different questions in in one right uh, the closer we get to really as more time goes by and more time goes by, it's looking like it's going to be Trump versus Biden again, uh, a rematch of 2020. Right. If you asked me this a year ago, I would have told you that I thought DeSantis had a legitimate chance at beating Trump if DeSantis was the only person running and if Trump didn't get indicted. So... So both of those had to happen. The moment Trump got indicted, I knew that his poll numbers were going to take off. And then the moment I saw that all these other people started running, the field was like more than 16 people at one point. Yeah, even Chris Christie, which is ridiculous. Yeah. In, in, in June, it, it was I, ridiculous before I knew his trans, transgender position. Yeah. In June or July, we had like 16 people running. So the more people who run, the, the better it is for Trump. So so. As more time goes by, it's pretty clear now that it's going to be Trump and Biden. I also, so that's the Trump factor. The Biden factor, I thought he was going to be replaced uh, as the nominee by Gavin Newsom. I thought I, that. I, 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 I think that, that might, I think that might still be possible. I don't think that's possible anymore. I thought that would happen and I thought that would happen. 
I thought Newsom did a very poor job in the debate. Yeah, that was shocking. I thought he would do better than the debate. Well, that was also the first time most people saw him. They had heard of him. They 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 saw his name in print media, but that's the first time they actually heard him. And his whole shtick, the de- a lot of the de- Democrats don't even like because it's a very snake oil salesman. I'll do anything oh, yeah. to get power type of. He's very. He's a, he's, a, he's a used car salesman. He's, he's a, exactly. slick back hair. Yeah, his pretty boy looks and, and, and exactly. his conniving ways. His smiles. He's a used yeah. car salesman. He's yeah. very very slimy. And he doesn't know the issues. He he was exposed in that debate because he actually he's really not a political guy. He's just like you said a a used car salesman. So I thought he had a chance. I thought it was a mistake for him to do that debate and to expose himself like that. Yeah, I, he was saying, and some of the other people were saying that it was a, a mistake for DeSantos to debate him because he wasn't a um, he wasn't a contender for the White House, and uh, that he was giving him uh, credit where credit wasn't due. Uh, but it, I think it actually turned out really well for DeSantis. It turned out very well. I thought DeSantis did a great job. It reminded me of like a, like a high school valedictorian or a high school captain of the debate team debating the, the, the high school quarterback. Um, right. That, that's what it kind of <laughs> reminded me of. Absolutely. Because you had two very different, you kind of had like the nerdy personality going up against the, the the cool guy who gets all the girls right um, personality so so that's what it was but again as more time passes by as more time passes by to me it's it's looking like it's going to be trump biden again <laughs> like i told you a year ago desantis was right there with trump neck and neck trump's handily going to win now with that being said anything can happen not in the sense of people voting differently but in the sense of Biden is old. Trump right. is old. Anything can happen to their health. Oh Anything yeah, if, happen... if Biden has a has a hard dive physically, I mean a hard dive, uh, either either a stroke or a or um or a well, if they vote for somebody else with a stroke, but if if they if if it was a stroke or a heart attack or if he if he actually dies or has any other serious medical complications, um, they're going to have to replace him no matter what. Yeah, well, if they do replace him, I think Michelle Obama is going to be the person who they replace him with. It's possible. Uh, like I said, Gavin Newsom was my pick if you would have asked me this question a month ago. And I've since changed that pick, and I think Michelle Obama would be that person. In the case of Trump, if he had to be replaced for any reason, that's why these people are still hanging around. That's why they're refusing to drop out, because they right. know... They have no chance of beating Trump, and they just want to stick it out as long as possible. Stick it out, stick it out, and see if something happens come April or May. Yeah, so play it I out actually, and see what happens. I actually expect um, the the field will. I think Chris Christie is going to be dropping out within the next month or two, and then uh, I think we're still going to have three other candidates: Vivek, Haley, and DeSantis come February. And I think that 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 field is going to shrink to two candidates after Super Tuesday, outside of Trump. So three candidates. Who do you, who do you think? Who do you predict the two candidates will be? Obviously, the first one's going to be um, is going to be DeSantis. Who do you think the second will be? I actually don't think it's going to be DeSantis. You don't think he'll be number two? 
I don't think so. I think DeSantis is going to do well in Iowa. And then after that, he's going to fall off. Um, so a lot depends on, on, on Iowa. But the reason is because if DeSantis does well in Iowa, he's not polling well in New Hampshire at all. There's a chance he could even get last place if Chris Christie is still in the race in, in New Hampshire. Right. And, then, and then after that, he's not polling well in Nevada. And then you have South Carolina. Nikki Haley's handily going to get second place in South Carolina because she, that's her home state. She's a former governor. So I actually think there's a chance that um, DeSantis does well in Iowa and then he does poorly in those three states, in New Hampshire, in Nevada, and that he will actually drop out before South Carolina because he knows that Nikki Haley's going to, that's going to be her state along with Trump. And you know, in an interview, he wouldn't answer that question. I'm not in an not. interview. It was in the debate. He wouldn't answer right. that. Or what was it? No, no, no. It was an interview. He would not answer the question. He would not answer the question. If I lose in that state, uh, are you going to, will that be the end of your campaign? He just well, I mean, answer. nobody's going to answer the question about when they're going to drop out. Right. No one's going right. to no say, yeah, I'm going to drop out. So uh, I think Vivek will surprise in Iowa and New Hampshire. I think he'll get third place in both. And that's going to keep him in the race through the end of t- Super Tuesday. Because again, DeSantis is burning through cash. That's another thing. If you burn through cash and you have no money left, then there's no point in, in moving forward. Right. So I think the three candidates who we'll see come March will be Vivek, Nikki Haley, and Donald Trump. Um, I don't think Nikki Haley is going to be coming anywhere close to Trump's numbers. I think Trump will be at 70% plus as the field narrows. And uh, she's just going to run until she loses money. And yeah, I, I, happens, I don't want her. I hope Trump doesn't put her as part of his administration if he wins presidency he because he won't. because she's just too bought and paid for. She just is. He won't. He's already said that he won't. He's already attacked her. He, his nickname for her is Bird Brain. He's not going to be putting somebody with a nickname <laughs> Bird Brain. I would hope not. In his cabinet. So that's funny. So there's a high likelihood that Vivek's going to be in the in uh, a senior post in the cabinet. Maybe not vice president. Governor Christie. Come on, Nome. fingers crossed for vice president. Well, Governor Christie Nome is the leader to be his VP with the whole abortion issue. She's a woman. She's very attractive. She's. Uh, uh, great experience and, and Vivek is is a leader to be in the cabinet as well whether it's uh, chief of staff or treasury secretary or or something else or just getting an endorsement from uh getting an endorsement from trump to run for senator of ohio right so i think we've i think we've covered everything um is there anything else you'd like to mention any check final out, statement? Check out my book, Trump Book. Just go on Amazon, type in my name, Naresh Vissa. You can find all my books over there. I'm a uh, once-in-a-while panelist on CNN, so you might see me there from time to time. Talking yeah, I, about... I didn't get to see your CNN interview, unfortunately. I would, I would have loved to have seen it. Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not frequent there. Uh, I, I do it once every few months. They ask me to come on. Now, do you speak on political issues when you come on or yes. financial or a little bit of both? Uh, political. So, okay. so it's, it's political issues. If, if things turn, I mean, I, can, I think I can destroy anyone on the left when it comes to financial and economic issues because they just don't think, they just don't understand how 
an economy works, how money is created, how money is destroyed, how value is like, they just have no idea. So I could have had a completely separate discussion with you on that. I'm a businessman myself. And maybe, you know, maybe sometime in the future we could we could do that interview yeah. if you're interested. Yeah. It's just not as interesting. My, my my quick thing for that would be I think the Federal Reserve has made some major blunders. They could have made up for those blunders. And I think this year they made some severe blunders. And uh, if you're a Republican, you're probably happy about this because uh, inflation is very slowly taming. <laughs> it's not... Right. It's not going down at the level that the Fed thought it would go down. And again, right. they should have raised rates, I think, at three meetings this year. Um, they should have raised rates. They didn't raise rates. They took the tack of appeasing the Biden administration and hoping that inflation would just go down. And now the Biden administration is in a complete quagmire heading into an election year where you're going to still have high inflation. You're not going to reach that 2% target rate. And you have ultra high interest rates at record levels. I haven't seen these levels in my lifetime. So um, this is a, again, it's not that you should be rooting against the economy, but this is a major economic problem. It does help during an election year. During an election year, because it's not that the the jobs are actually good. There are jobs. There are still plenty of jobs available. The issue is that the, the cost of stuff is still too expensive and the housing market is not going to decline enough to where your average person is able to buy a house and the interest rates have to stay this high i think through the end of august at least because you're not going to reach that two percent you know one thing i want to throw in real quick that i forgot to mention i think that the indictment of uh, hunter biden and the, the, the rumors swarming, you know, swirling around Joe Biden of being part of the, the, the Hunter Biden corruption scandal. I, I think that's going to be uh, a hammer that keeps getting, you know, levied against uh, Joe Biden. You know, the, 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 the converse is, is that you, even though that uh, Trump is being prosecuted, that actually, I think with a lot, a lot of people, that works in his favor. Because they see him as a well, victim what of they're the doing. This is that's also politically motivated because what the left is doing is saying, "Hey, look, we're not politically going after Trump because we're also going after Joe Biden's son," <laughs> right. and so they're covering up for it. I think these are all shams. I think the impeachment against Biden, he's going to get him. Watch the, the timing of the impeachment is going to be in April or May, right before the election, right? So, right. so this is everything doesn't matter if it's against Trump, doesn't matter if it's against Biden. It's all a political sham. Well, yeah, the, and the, 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 the sad part is, is that they let, they let the uh, most serious charges on, on Hunter expire, even though everyone was telling them they're, they're going to expire soon. So if you're going to do something, do it now. Yeah. So it's, it's well, all underhanded schemes and backdoor deals. And, you know, and they say that people laugh when you say, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the entrenched government. But that's just people that have worked in the government in different positions for decades and control, uh, you know, what did uh, J. Edgar Hoover famously say uh, to, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy, uh, you, you know, you're going, you, you know, you're the president now. And uh, but I've I've, I'll, I've lived through several presidents and I'll live through several more. Yes. Yep, absolutely. So I don't really pay much attention to any of these indictments or impeachments they don't mean anything anymore that's where we are as a society now 
Um, so, yeah. So, all right. So you're you you you're so you can't really give me a position on as far as who you think will win the the overall presidency. I, I agree. And a, a year a year to go, there's going to be a lot of. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the, our society has become so crazy and chaotic that there's no telling what will happen in the next year. If if you would have asked this question December of 2019, every poll in the world was showing that Trump was handily going to win the election and that the Democrat nominee was going to be Pete Buttigieg. So that right. tells you something. Right. It's topsy-turvy situation. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I didn't mean to inter- interrupt you. There was just a couple of things that I, I had neglected I'd forgotten to bring up. Uh, please continue and, 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 you know, promote anything you'd like to promote. Nope. That's it. Already, already finished. Okay. And last but not least, and I, I truly hope you're not offended and feel slighted, but can you please say your name for me? Naresh. Naresh. And your last name? Vissa. Naresh. Vissa. Am I saying that right or close enough? Nope. That's perfect. Naresh Vissa. Okay. I never would have got that in a million years. So I do appreciate you, you, you saying that for me. So Naresh Navissa, and uh, he's a prolific writer. Um, he is, oh, one last final question. Uh, do you have any, maybe not now, but in the future, do you have any political aspirations of your own? Nope, absolutely not. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Straight into the point. Okay, so he's a prolific writer. Would you like to name off your books again real quick? Uh, Fifty Shades of Marketing, Podcastnomics, Trump Book, From Nobody to Best-Selling Author, The New PR. I think I will definitely read Trump Book and, um, oh, uh, Podcastnomics, or however you say it. Those are the two books I think would be most interesting to me. So I highly recommend all of his books. Uh, Very intelligent man, uh, you know, well-educated, obviously, well-spoken. And I haven't, I don't think, I think this is probably one of the best interviews I've ever had. So I truly appreciate you coming on the show and uh, I wish you the best. Okay. And hopefully we'll, we'll keep in contact and maybe have a, uh, you know, a uh, interview about uh, economics at some time. Sounds good. Okay. My friend, take care. You have a great day. Have a good one. Bye. You too.